Welcome to Emory Innovators, a series of conversations between the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation, and Emory alumni who are innovation leaders or entrepreneurs, or have taken innovative approaches to designing their careers and disrupting their industries. Welcome to Emory Innovators, which showcases conversations with Emory faculty, staff, and alumni who work in innovation and entrepreneurship, or who have taken innovative approaches to designing their careers and disrupting their industries. I'm Kate Hildebrandt, Programming Coordinator at The Hatchery, and I'm excited to host today's conversation and welcome our guest, Zolna Harriskar. Zolna is the Regional Channel Executive for North America part device partner solution sales at Microsoft. Her experience at Microsoft over the past 18 years includes working in sales, operations, product marketing, and professional services, leading the envisioning of new opportunities and products with customers, helping customers move into a cloud-first world, and engaging sellers to create the technical and business elements in their path to the cloud. Zolna is a goal-oriented leader with a natural inquisitiveness to see the potential in business opportunities, problems to be solved, and people to be connected. She holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Computer Information Systems from Florida A&M University, a Master's degree in Computer Science from Florida Atlantic University, and an MBA from Emory University. In 2020, Zolna was named to the 40 under 40 list by the Puget Sound Business Journal and Emory Alumni Association. Welcome Zolna, we're so glad to have you here today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. Of course. So you've covered quite a lot of ground in a short time there. Um, I would love to know if you could kick us off just by telling us a bit about your time at Emory. Absolutely. Um, so I actually pursued my MBA. I started in 20, 2010 um, and completed in 2012 during the weekend executive MBA program. Um, at the time, I'd been a part of Microsoft for about 12 years. And my goal was just to really learn more about business um, mm -hmm. and learning more about the various elements of business, learning more about reasons and how executive made decisions. Um, and just really understanding the art of strategy, um, the art of marketing, the art of um, innovation, and how to apply that in my role um, at the time at Microsoft. Um, so I, I kind of really joined the MBA program more so from a place of curiosity um, to really just figure out as I continue to delve in my career, um, what the opportunities were ahead, um, but how I could also be um, a leader, um, armed and dangerous, with all sorts of tools um, to chart my path forward. That's awesome. Yeah, so you joined a little bit later in your career already and just getting started to um, get that MBA and add to what you are already doing. Correct. Definitely. So. Yeah, many of the students that we speak with at the Hatchery, they have questions about managing uh, the transition from student life to professional life, it sounds like you managed professional life and then got into student life in the middle of it. What does that look like and how do you think it's different? So I don't think it's different. Mm -hmm. So I think what makes um, Emory students amazing um, is that we're, we're smart, right? Um, oh, and yeah. I think to just be smart and the ability to have good critical thinking skills. I think that's an advantage to any company. Um, I think what, what, what Emory allowed me to do in, in bridging the gap between student life, professional life, et cetera, is a few things. I mean, one, I had to learn how to manage my life like a project, right? So lots of project management um, because I was making a hefty investment in my MBA. Um, pursuits. So it's managing career, managing personal life, mm -hmm. and, um, academics. Um, but I also say one of the areas that has allowed me to be successful in business life um, post um, MBA is just remaining curious. Um, so if I take a few steps back 
and I go back to how I actually got into Microsoft um, out of undergrad, it was because of curiosity. Um, mm -hmm. As an undergrad student at Florida A&M University, my major um, when I started undergrad was computers was political science. Um, so I actually wanted to be um, a lawyer. I was going to open my first. I was going to be the first African American female to open an IP patent law firm. Um, and my mentor at the time challenged me um, to go really understand the in intersections between tech and poli sci, um, because at the time computers were around, but it wasn't the norm, right? Cell phones were on the horizon, but everybody didn't have a cell phone. So it was, you know, go figure this out. So I literally spent hours at the library doing research because at the time I didn't have a computer in my dorm room. So I had to go to the library. That's how old it was. Like this literally mm -hmm. early 2000s. And um, I researched and I learned about the Microsoft and Apple case. I also learned about the um, various cases on who has jurisdiction to prosecute whom if you purchase something illegal in one country, but it's legal in another country. Um, but yet the country you purchased it or the country you reside in, it's illegal in, right? So there were all these laws that were popping up. I was curious. I just wanted to know the answer. Um, so I kind of wanted to just understand like all of this legal aspect of computer science and everything that was happening at the time. I just wanted to learn more. I tell you all of that to tell you, I changed my major to computer science, held on to the poli sci minor and continued down the computer science track. The reason I ended up at Microsoft is at the time, my professional development instructor required us to attend career fairs. I didn't want to go. At the career fair, there was a Microsoft representative. My first time meeting someone from Microsoft, and I'd spent four months tracking that Microsoft and Apple case. So when I met someone from Microsoft, I was like, oh my goodness, someone from Microsoft let me tell you what I've learned, right? Let, let's talk about it. Like, let's have a whole debate wow. let's talk about it. Let's understand it. Let's discuss this. And the Microsoft rep was like, you don't even work at Microsoft. Why do you care? And I was just like, no, I'm just trying to figure out my path forward and trying to figure out what I want to do in life. And this really excites me. And that was my door. That was my, that was the open door for me to Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And everyone was, they were astonished at how passionate I was to learn about a case and to really, really understand the deep workings of it. I mean, I later went on to meet the patent attorney at Microsoft that was focused on the case and meet the whole team. But I, I tell you all of that to tell you, Kate, what led me from a student into professional was curiosity and mm -hmm. what kept me at Microsoft and kept me as an innovative leader is remaining curious. And during my MBA pursuits, I pursued an MBA because I was curious. Mm -hmm. And being curious and realizing that the world is going to continue to evolve. And what I can do is figure out how I can set the pace or set the tone or be a visionary um, to that innovation. It's what's helped me to be successful in this space. Wow, that is a fascinating story <laughs> and a fascinating way to get into the tech career that you've been in and just enjoyed this long. Um, that's so interesting. I know a lot of entrepreneurs and, and corporate innovators, they have to integrate their own career path. And it sounds like you've done that throughout your whole career. Um, could you tell me a specific story in your career about how you applied innovation to designing your career after that? So yeah, so I'll walk you through um, after my MBA. So mm -hmm. at the time I was a sales leader and what I found is um, charting my own career. To me, in my opinion, charting my own career has always meant not showing up in the room like everyone else. Everyone mm -hmm. else is already taken. I don't want to be them. Um, so I've always allowed myself to just be unique and I've always allowed myself to have a different perspective um, in realizing that Microsoft doesn't hire me to be cookie cutter and to provide the same response or the same answer or to look at things the exact same way as everyone else. I'm in the room because I'm going to bring mm -hmm. a different 
perspective. And I'm going to challenge things differently. Um, I say all of that to say, um, during my, um, my studies at Emory, I was, again, like equipped with so many tools on how I look at the business from a general management and a leadership perspective. And as I charted, as I chart my career at Microsoft, I could literally be in a room with a customer and we're talking about the products that they currently have on their enterprise agreement, which is their contractual relationship with Microsoft on the products and solutions that they've purchased. And I'll look at them and, and I, started a, I started a whole wave at one point because I looked at the customer and I said, from a Lean and Six Sigma perspective, let's talk about what are the solutions that you currently have in place and where are their redundancies? And the customer and my, my team looked at me astonished, like what? And I basically told the customer, I said, okay, you have a ton of Microsoft solutions on this agreement. But as I look at your agreements, you have an agreement in place with Cisco, you have an agreement in place with IBM, you have an agreement in place with all of our competitors. What I think would be an advantage is let's take, an, let's take a review of all of these solutions that you currently have in place in your organization. And let's look at this from a Lean Six Sigma perspective. So let's look at where, let's look at things where there are redundancies. Let's look at things where there's opportunity for new. Let's look at things based on your product roadmap and how you want to continue to innovate. I say all of that to say, I've been innovative because I try just not to be the same. And based on all of my learnings at Emory, I realized that there are so many tools in my toolkit to assist customers in being successful. So even as an account manager, where my goal was really to sell solutions that were in my portfolio, I could approach a conversation with a client and say, let's look at this from a Lean Six Sigma perspective, which were skill sets that I learned during my MBA program, and kind of say, let's look at your business from this perspective. I was in sales, I had nothing to do with Lean Six Sigma. But when I look at Lean Six Sigma and I look at the processes, the methodology, and the theories behind it, I realized that it could have been applied to sales, and I took the approach. Um, so I, I say all that to say those, those are just some examples on how I've charted my career. I've charted my career in realizing that I don't have to be um, the same, um, but as I view things, it's okay to look at all of the tools in my toolkit to provide a solution, provide a response, or provide a perspective um, that takes all of my insights um, into consideration. Yeah, and I'm sure that that was such a refreshing thing for that customer as well, and, and building trust with that customer too, in a very different way um, for you to approach it so differently. So Zolna, how would you describe your work at this point? You've been with Microsoft a little bit of time here and what does innovation look like for you now in your role? So what innovation looks like for me now in my role is I lead the um, North America incubation and specialist team. Um, and my team is focused on two um, huge product areas. So we're focused on what we're driving from an Azure, Azure Stack, Arc um, and security perspective. So everything from containers and um, security, but then we're also looking at modernized on-point. Modernized on-point basically means that we're looking at all Windows 11 um, and Windows 10 as well, um, but we're also looking at the um, managing devices, managing cell phones, and anything that's touching a customer's network, uh, making certain that they have modern um, architecture um, to manage it and to make certain that it's a safe um, environment. As we're in the new world of work with hybrid, um, all of these solutions come to play and they're important for our clients because if, you're, um, if your people or if your folks are working from home, you want to make certain that they have access to the right tools and technologies, but you also want to make certain that it's secure as it touches your, um, your internet environments. Um, I say all that to say the way that I drive innovation, my team is new. So my entire organization, um, we're new to Microsoft. Um, yeah. So it's a team that was recently created. Um, so we're forging 
um, the pathway of one helping our OEMs, so Dells, HPs, Lenovo's, and other original equipment manufacturers with really understanding um, how they can align with these solution areas. Um, but then two, we're helping our Microsoft sales teams kind of really understand, you know, the value um, of our team, the value of our business, and how it helps us um, to really drive forward a connected world. Um, and I say a connected world because, you know, I had, a, I had a great conversation with one of my leaders. And my question was, you know, as I look at transformation, you know, I recently purchased the Oculus headset. Um, so every now and mm -hmm. again, I go into the VR space and I'm like, what's happening in meta? What's happening in virtual? And, you know, at one point I asked myself, I said, you know, how does my business unit align with the wave of virtual and the wave of what's happening in the next era of tech? And I quickly realized the value that my team brings is we're, a lot, we're providing the, the foundational, we're providing the technologies that helps any organization with managing their on-prem environment, but also as you start to look at the internet and, and all of the work that we're able to do there, but also this new virtual world that's um, popping up and creeping and everyone is starting to figure out how they can innovate in that space. Um, so I say all that to say in my current world, it's really charting the wave of the future, um, but making certain that from a devices and from a mobile devices perspective, that our clients, our partners, and our um, stakeholders um, have the ability to make certain that whoever their constituents are can log into very secure environments um, to access their internal data. Wow, that whole world is very fascinating. Um, I was wondering, uh, one thing that I caught that I know our students are always interested in is forming teams. And you've said that you formed a brand new team here. Um, as a manager, how, like what is important to you about forming teams? How did you go about that? And, and what's key to you um, as advice for other people who are forming teams? Um, so forming teams, in my opinion, is hard. <laughs> and it it's is. hard because um, I love people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I literally, when I'm forming a team or I'm, I'm hiring, I will literally um, meet with whomever's interested. Like I just meet with people, right? And my goal is always, um, you know, who's the best fit for the role um, based on the job requirements. And I always view um, a team by three-legged stool. Um, mm -hmm. So I say three-legged stool because if the person has the, the core requirements of the role, they have the technical requirements of the role, and they understand the, the business acumen or the business details of the role, then a lot of times they'll do really well. So I always look at um, any role from a three-legged stool perspective, and I ask myself, the candidates that I'm interviewing and the candidates that I'm connecting with, do they have at least two legs of the stool? And if they have two legs of the stool, a lot of times they'll make it to the next round with me. Um, but if someone comes in, they only have one leg of the stool, like they understand the technology, um, but there are other areas that they have to grow in. I always share coaching on let's go, let's let's look at your career path and let's look at what you're interested in. And based on what you're interested in, um, let's figure out how you can gain some of these learnings in your current role or even gain some of the learnings in extracurricular um, organizations and extracurricular um, participation so that you're building that skill. Um, so I, I'm very candid to have that conversation, but I, I say all that to say, um, whenever I'm hiring or whenever I'm making a decision on who's the best fit for a role in my on my team, I'm always looking at things from a three-legged stool perspective to say, does the person meet at least 50% um, of the job requirements? And if so, great. Um, also, is this person like, what's been their track record? What's been their history? Um, do they have recommendations on LinkedIn? Like, what are other people saying about them? Um, have they worked on tough projects? If they are a student, have they worked on tough projects um, during their undergrad or their MBA or their master's pursuits? And if so, what were their learnings? What is their intrapersonal like? Um, do they show conviction? Do they show um, passion and just try to have a try to have a candid conversation and 
um, try to gauge as much as that as possible in, in a conversation. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you for that advice. Um, I really like the, the idea of the three-legged stool and thinking about how to form a team with that. Um, one thing I've always been curious about since I read your first, uh, the 40 under 40 list, and I read your bio on there, is you really mentioned uh, mentorship playing a big role for you. And that really stood out to me, Zolna. Um, not a lot of people really mention that in interviews like that. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how mentorship has played in your career path and also how have you played out being a mentor throughout your career path? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, as I, I mentioned earlier um, that in undergrad, I changed my major because of a conversation with a mentor, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, he was my mentor. So literally the third day on campus, um, it's Commissioner Bill Proctor. He's um, commissioner for District 1 in Leon County. Um, but literally like 30 years later, he's still my mentor. He's still one of the people that when I'm making a tough decision, I know that I can pick up the phone and call him and he'll have my best interest at heart and um, truly share perspective um, based on his experience that helps. Um, I say all of that to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm first generation everything. Um, so I was first generation um, college grad, I was first generation um, corporate America um, employee um, for my family. Um, my family's from Haiti um, and, and looking into my network of friends and family and people that I grew up with, no, it, no one was really on my path. Um, so the way forward for me was mentors, right? Um, so I've always spent a lot of time um, seeking out mentors. But I say all that to say a mentor, in my opinion, like I have, I have a Rolodex of six, seven people that I can pick up the phone and call. And if I have a question about innovation, I have a question about sales, I have a question about managing the team, I have a question about my career trajectory, I know that they've got my back, right? Um, but then there are moments when I, I have a mentor like um, a Carla Harris, who's a managing director at um, Chase Bank, and I've watched a majority of her YouTubes, or Brene Brown, who has written amazing books about daring to be different and um, leading and being in workplaces, or um, Ron Clark, in, here in Atlanta, Ron Clark, um, he wrote a book called Who's on Your Who's on Your Bus, and it kind of talks, yeah, it talks about the different skill sets mm -hmm. and who's on your team. I say all of this to say, in my opinion, mentors are the people I can tangibly touch, who are on my board of directors, who are helping me navigate, um, who I can bounce ideas off of, who I can ask um, for different perspective. Um, my mentor, or one of my current mentors, uh, my manager, um, Linda. Linda's amazing. I can pick up the phone and call her. I meet with her regularly. Um, so she gets to watch my everyday interactions with customers, with my team, um, and how I'm continually growing in the moment. Um, but I say all that to say, I also just spend time seeking out mentors um, and people that I aspire to be like. I mean, who doesn't love a Michelle Obama or an Oprah Winfrey, right? And I don't, I, like, I don't have the luxury of being able to touch them, but their content is on YouTube. Their content is on like social media. They have books. They have content that provides perspective and insight into how they got where they are, um, but also how they charted their path and charted their way. Um, so I say all that to say mentorship is extremely important to me. Um, so I'm really big on mentors that I can touch, mentors that I cannot touch, and learning in general. And then I'm really big on charting the path forward. Um, so part of the reason um, I have received awards such as 40 Under 40 um, is because mentorship is so important to me that at one point in time, I led the career development um, division for the Blacks at Microsoft community. And I paired over 300 people with mentors um, oh, because wow. it's important to me. And I realized if it's helped me, I know that it can help someone else potentially, right? Um, so I literally reviewed over 300 applications 
and helped 300 um, employees connect with mentors. Um, I'm also a mentor in the community. So I'm a big brother, big sister through the big brother, big sister program. Um, so I mentor someone that's up and coming. Um, one of my purpose um, arenas is I, I normally am a part of any organization that's focused on STEM curriculum for underrepresented youth. And I lend my services to mentor in that area. And at Microsoft, at any given time, I'm mentoring at least eight people, whether they're new in career, more advanced in their career, or just trying to figure out next steps. Um, so mentorship is extremely important to me. Um, giving back is extremely important to me. And I try to make certain that as I navigate my career um, that I don't lose sight of those things. Yeah, wow, Sona, that's an amazing way to live in just the, the give and then also the receiving of mentorship. Uh, just that big circle, that sounds like a really great way to live and a really great way to make such a big impact. It's amazing. So I, one of the other things that I really loved talking with you about in our preparation for this interview is marketing, getting your idea out there. Uh, it's something that you really drove home on our first call. Uh, what does that look like for you in your career? Um, so marketing and getting my idea out there looks like a, it looks like a few things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm extremely intentional. Um, and what I when I say intentional, um, what I mean by that is um, a lot of times when you know people say marketing, people are like, okay, how many people can I go touch? Or you know, social media, I'm gonna go make a TikTok or make a Facebook ad or, or do this, that, or the other. Um, what I've learned um, about marketing is just being intentional. Um, and when I say being intentional, what I mean by that is um, charting the path of where you are right now and really understanding what is it that you want in the future from a, and this is from a marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a career, a product, a strategy, a business, an organization. Um, if you were to sit back and in five years um, view where that business or what that business performance is, um, what indicates success? And based on what indicates success, um, how, do you build a, how do you build a plan um, from a marketing perspective that kind of helps you get there? So if the goal is to, to be promoted, um, then what does that potentially look like? So um, who are the stakeholders that um, affect your promotion, if you're promoted or not? Um, based on conversations with folks, you know, what's required to get that level of promotion? So that's how I look at it from a career perspective. Um, but from a product and a um, program or a project perspective, I always view marketing as looking at things from a customer, revenue, um, looking at things from a targeting perspective, looking at things from a PR and advertising, and just really making certain that um, I've defined what it means in each of those areas. So if the goal is to drive or create a billion dollar business, what are the business units that are aligned to that product? What industries does it touch? Based on the industries, does it based on the industries that it potentially touches, um, what are the sales plays? Like, why is it important to that industry? Why would that industry or someone in that industry care? Who's the person in that industry that it matters most to? How does it make their job better? better or how does it make their job more um, innovative? Um, and, and how do I find those people? So how do I go market and how do I find them? And how do I connect the dots um, to, make, to ensure that they understand my good or my service? and how it can add value to them. And then how do I retain, how do I attract the relationship? But how do I also retain the relationship and maintain that relationship going forward? Um, so I say all that to say, when I look at marketing, whether it's career or whether it's product program or service, um, I'm, I just try to make certain that I'm intentional. Um, so really taking time back to um, sit back and really understand um, what the future holds and in five years, um, what does it mean to be successful in that space? And then really charting out a, a plan on how we're gonna get there. And the good news is with any plan, um, the best way to identify if your plan is successful or not is numbers. 
So what is a tangible number, a tangible metric um, that we can put in place to measure it? And um, how do we continue, continually measure that um, periodically um, to ensure that we're getting closer to the goal and closer to that five-year target or objective? I hope that made sense. Totally. And I, I love that you added that part of the end, just about the tangible measuring of things. Um, when we're coaching students, we really like to help them to do experiments and see, okay, experiments around value propositions, experiments around, is this a good audience fit? And finding those tangible things that they can measure so that they know they're on the right track. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing so that you're making sure that you, your customer, everybody's winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. No, that made perfect sense. Um, I'd love to know what's one thing in your recent innovation work, uh, in your work, that you're really proud of? Um, one thing in my innovation work that I'm really proud of. Um, so I don't know, maybe this is where I kind of tell you about some of the stuff I do outside of my yeah. nine to five. Um, so outside of my nine to five, um, I recently relocated back to Atlanta. Um, so I was living in Seattle for six years. Um, and during the pandemic, um, I had some personal um, challenges. So I kind of needed to get back to the East Coast and closer to family. Um, so I say all that to say, in um, relocating back to Atlanta, I just started reconnecting with um, circles of friends and um, different people that I would connected with during my time here. I quickly realized a lot of my friends have become entrepreneurs. Um, so I've started um, new businesses. Um, I have friends that have developed apps. Um, I have friends that have um, just started um, different programs, um, different like career tracks um, that they hadn't done before. Um, in my conversations with everyone, I quickly realized my friends had um, started new ventures and everyone had solid business plans. Like they had a solid business plan. They knew how they were gonna get from point A to point B or they knew what their goal was. Um, but in conversations with everyone, I was just like, okay, you have a solid business plan. All right, go get it. And I realized what was missing were the intricate details. Um, so I say all that to say, um, one of the innovative venture um, initiatives that I've kind of started is I started kind of side consulting, right? Um, so basically meeting with my um, friends and meeting with different people that I'm connected with, and I literally help them. So I listen to their business goals and their business objectives. Um, and one of the roles that I um, was a part of at Microsoft, so most recently I was a business architect at Microsoft. And the, the value of being a business architect is that you look at all aspects of a business and you ask yourself, what needs to happen to get this business to a billion dollars? Or what needs to happen um, to, to drive innovation in this business? Or based on one, two, or three KPIs, key performance indicators, what do we need to put in place to meet our desired outcome for this business unit? I love that role. I love the role, but there were mechanics of the role that I just didn't like. There were aspects of the role that I love, and then there were aspects of the role that I didn't like. So when I started meeting with my friends who um, recently bec had become entrepreneurs, I realized, oh my God, this is business architecture. And that's what I started doing. So I let them develop their business plan. And I literally helped them break apart their business plan and say, what are the goals for 2022? What are the goals for 2023? What are the goals for 2024? Um, who's our audience? Who's our customer? Um, what are our products and services? How much are we trying to trend or attain based on each, our, each of our products or services? Who's our target customer? Where is our target customer? Are we marketing to our target customer effectively? If not, how do we find them? Um, then like building, building out tech environments, right? So I'm not building websites and all this other fun stuff on the back end, I'm helping them build out their social media platform, but really looking at all aspects of their business model and helping them scale their approach. And um, it's, it's been invigorating. I mean, it keeps me busy because by day I'm busy with all of my other stuff. And by night, I'm now trying to help friends be successful. 
um, but it's just been a rewarding um, exercise um, because I can take 18 plus years of corporate insights and perspectives and really help small business owners um, take that knowledge and, and be just as successful in their space. Yeah, and what a cool thing to do and to incorporate the things that, like you said, multiple times you find so fun uh, that invigorate you and also help the people that you're working with. Um, one of the, you mentioned that you recently moved back to Atlanta. I'm wondering if you can just give us a little insight into what you see uh, about the innovation and entrepreneurship landscape of Atlanta. How do you envision it? Um, what are you seeing and what would you like to see? Um, that's, a, that's a lofty question. It's a, lot, it's a big one. <laughs> question there um mm -hmm. if i could foresee the future so so one um what scares me about mm -hmm. the future of atlanta is um making certain that no child is left behind um and what i mean by that is um when you look at the when you look at the um standardized testing and you look at the um, curriculum and, and how students in Atlanta um, perform on parity to students in other states. Um, I feel that from a math and science proficiency, um, the proficiency rates aren't like fully there here in Atlanta. And that's kind of scary. Um, and the only reason I say that's scary is because it means that as more innovation comes to Atlanta, so as big tech companies are coming to Atlanta, as more companies are um, headquartered in Atlanta, um, it means that you're building a future or you're building a pipeline and the people that live in the local community may not be able to fulfill those jobs. So that scares me. Um, so I, I say that scares me, um, but the wave of the future for Atlanta, I think is amazing. Um, Microsoft, um, who I work for, is making um, huge strides um, in Atlanta. We just opened our um, new Atlantic Yards location um, in Midtown. Um, and we're continuing to figure out next steps with um, a whole building and a whole area that we're developing um, in Upper West Side, which is formerly um, Bankhead. Um, good news is, I mean, there's just a lot of great innovation. Um, Google, um, Airbnb, um, majority of um, just strong tech giants um, realize the the wealth of diversity that's in Atlanta. And um, a lot of people are just making investments here, um, which is great, and you want to be here. Um, the hard part is um, with innovation also comes challenges. Um, so I, I'm always just mindful of, you know, how does this affect um, our population? How does, how does this affect uh, mid-class, upper-class, et cetera? And um, are we really ready for it? Um, but but I but I say all that to say from an innovation perspective, I think that Atlanta um, is definitely a great place to be. Um, I think that with all of the innovation that's happening, um, you know, it, as as Emory alum and, and as just student innovators, I think if there's an area of curiosity, if there's an area of interest, um, now's the time to start really exploring that um, and figuring out how it fits into. Um, all of the developments, or now is the time to start figuring it out and building the wave of what that'll look like in coming years. Um, and I say that because, you know, when I lived here six years prior, I, I, I never knew that Atlanta would be a major media hub, right? Um, but in our back door in Fayetteville, um, there are at least 20, 30, 40 stages where um, different movies and theater and um, all sorts of um, innovation is happening from a arts and entertainment perspective. Um, tech is on its way here, um, but I mean, we still are able to drive lots of innovation from a robotics, from a metaverse, from a sustainability. Um, I think that there are just a lot of unique things that are happening in Atlanta and as students, um, but as also as residents, um, there's so many unique ways that we can take advantage of it. Um, but going back to a lot of my previous points, um, we kind of have to tap into the areas of curiosity 
um, and mm -hmm. just making certain that as Atlanta continues to build that we're aligned um, in areas where we're curious so that we're um, building in tandem and helping um, to foster that growth and innovation. I don't know that I answered your question. You sure um, did. I say all that to say it's there's just mm -hmm. a lot of great growth happening. And um, with great growth, I think there's a lot of um, opportunity. And it's just important that we start to seize those opportunities early. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting to watch the growth in Atlanta. I've lived here 12 years now, and I moved here from Los Angeles and have been able to see Hollywood come here basically shift over and and build up so I'm, I'm interested to see how the tech industry builds up in Atlanta as well we just on our other show interviewed Leandra Jordan from the Microsoft Garage in Atlanta and um, it's it's been exciting to see all the the new things that are cropping up but also as you mentioned to keep in mind you know the communities around them and to, to make sure that we're including that and incorporating that is really key. That's important. Thank you for that. Um, I do have one more question for you and it is about challenges since you brought up challenges, but I'd also like to key up our audience and say, if you have any questions, please drop them in the chat and we'll be happy to look at those in just a moment. So what have you found um, recently to be one of the biggest challenges for you working in innovation um, as an entrepreneur at Microsoft, but also as you're applying your innovation work to entrepreneurs in Atlanta? You can answer it either way. Um, I think right now the biggest challenge is, um, I think the biggest challenge on my end is um, probably um, time, not enough of it. Um, but I also just view um, like one of the biggest challenges right now is that we're just living in a day and age where there's just a lot going on in the world. Um, and there's a lot of uncontrollables. Um, mm. So I, I say all that to say, I think one of the biggest challenges is that there's just a lot that's happening um, in the world and all around us that we can't control. And um, building teams and working with people um, with, um, and sometimes just not know the answers, I think is tough in itself. Um, but I, but I say all that to say, I think the biggest challenge right now is, um, just maintaining, um, mental health, uh, making certain that we're building teams and we're building, um, people that, um, we're empathetic about what's happening in their worlds and in their lives. Um, but then also making certain that, um, we're taking time to listen and, um, in a world where personal and work has now blended, um, being graceful um, when people can or can't do something. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just say, I think, I think right now this the biggest issue is just, there's just so many uncontrollables. Um, and it's just learning, and I realize it's life, but just learning to navigate it and learning to give people grace um, to navigate it as well. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I'm really interested in the process of empathy and how people build skills in empathy for sure. Um, and needing to do that with everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, I do have an audience question that came up. Uh, so at the outset, you spoke about the art of strategy and the art of innovation. So often people talk about these as process, not art. But I think you're absolutely right that they are both. This is what the audience member says. Could you speak a little bit about what you see as the art of strategy and innovation? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the um, one of my mentors, um, he just passed. Um, bless his heart. Um, but he was a um, professor at Harvard Business School, um, Clayton Christensen, um, and he was the one that came up with the whole. Um, disruption theory. Um, and um, I had the opportunity of um, sitting under, like I took a few, a few of his classes um, at Harvard um, and just had the opportunity to kind of really understand disruption um, from his lens. And I call it an art um, because if, if you kind of view things and you're intentional and you realize that the world will continue to evolve, 
Um, and are we going to be at the forefront of that evolution, or are you going to be an absorber of the of the um, evolution? I say absorber because it kind of just means that you know, as the world evolves, we're consuming or we're um, a part of it, but but we're not charting it or creating it. Um, so I, I say all that to say I always consider it an artist strategy or an art in, of innovation uh, because the world will continue to evolve, right? And based on the world continuing to evolve and um, all of the changes and what we see happening in the future, are we ready for that? Like based on whatever industry you're in, based on whatever your work is, um, whatever you do for a living, whatever your interests are, are we ready? And and is your industry or is your area of expertise ready for the innovation that'll happen um, for your arena in, in five, 10, 15 years? So one of the ways um, I kind of view that is I had never really thought about um, the evolution of tech, um, but I remember um, when I became a chief of staff at Microsoft, I kind of learned that there were evolutions of tech, right? Um, so in one era, um, Bill Gates has had introduced the notion of um, a PC on every, like in every home. And that was an era of tech where, you know, we're driving huge innovations with partnerships, um, Dell's, HP's, Lenovo's, Gateways um, at the time. And there were like huge creations of devices and everyone was bringing these devices into their home because we were in that innovation era. And then there became an innovation era of cell phones, right? So everyone's now bringing these small devices in their homes or the, the era of communication. I say era of communication because it started with beepers um, and like messaging devices and then it morphed into cell phones, right? And now we can't imagine our lives without a cell phone. Um, but then there was an innovation era of apps, right? So you have all of these websites, and instead of going out to the different websites, you now have the innovation of your cell phone. Now you can go into an application, and through that application, everything that you need to function with that business, that project, that organization, you can do in that app. I always view the innovation of banking. I remember back in 2000, like literally, if I, if I needed to do anything, I was driving to the bank, right? I was driving to the bank going inside, meeting with the teller, um, having a great conversation. They knew who I was. I knew who they were. Um, if I needed to cash a check, I cashed my check. And if I needed to withdraw money, I did that. When ATM cards became available, what were the biggest concerns of ATM cards? The same challenges that we view now whenever we have innovation. Privacy, if I lose my ATM card or if someone gets my ATM card, can someone track me through this ATM card? Can I get my personal information through the ATM card? And then it was also um, just making certain that it was secure environment. So if you go to the bank and you pull out money, can people track it, trace it, um, steal your identity, et cetera. Um, but people were skeptical of ATM cards. Like I'm not doing all my banking on an ATM card. And now, if you look at all of the examples I've just shared, I can't imagine my world without the innovation of my cell phone, because through my app that I can now access my bank, I can take a picture of a check and deposit it in my account. I can do all of my mobile banking, where through blockchain and through tech innovation, if I needed to send a contractor money, I'm not even writing checks anymore. I'm able to Zelle, Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, um, send them the money and they get it in seconds in their bank account. Um, but, but even with banking, like when you go to a banking facility, it's, it's, it's it, like if there are more than three tellers, you're kind of asking yourself, what is going on here? Um, because so many people do most of their banking through applications, through their cell phone, or through an ATM, where we see more banking machines than we do banking personnel these days. I say all of that to say the art of innovation and the art of strategy is realizing that the world will continue to evolve. There are technologies, there are innovations, there are solutions that are in place. But as we view things in 10 years, how do we envision that changing in that direction? And are our industries, our companies, are the organizations, the products, the solutions that we serve, 
are they ready for what's to come in 10 years? I know that was a long-winded quest or answer, um, but again, I view it as just a world of innovation and it's a world of strategy because you kind of have to have a lot of forethought to really think the future now. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, the, that audience member also mentioned that I think your comments about identifying aspects of a given role that you love and aspects that you don't are so important. Um, at the Hatchery, we do see students who are interested in leveraging design to hack their own careers, often before they even begin their own careers. So do you have any criteria that you found to be effective in helping you to identify what you love, what you don't love, and about any particular professional opportunity? And do you have particular processes that you use to build on what you love and make that more central to your day-to-day? -day? So basically, how do you make it fun, I think is what they're asking. Oh, that's great. And it looks like Jennifer has her hand up too. So we'll have to. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll grab that. Um, yeah, so great question. And um, so you'll find um, the first eight years of my career at Microsoft, I had only worked in three divisions, right? Um, I spent my longest time in one division because I loved, I loved the manager. I loved the manager. I loved the team. I loved the strategy. Um, I, I had a lot of responsibility just loved it. So I just never left. Mm -hmm. And then I got my MBA and you can't keep me in a job at Microsoft. I'm in 18 months, 24 months, I'm out. Um, and, and I say that the way that I identify if I love a job or not is Sunday morning and Sunday night. Um, and what I mean by that is Sunday night when I'm going to bed, if I absolutely hate that I have to get up the next morning to go to work, it's time to find a new job. And the reason I say it's time to find a new job is because I spend majority of my time with these people. So if I don't like doing what I'm doing and I'm spending, like if, if I think about my life, I spend a lot of time at work. So if I don't like what I'm doing, I'm not doing it. Um, and, and, and my rule of thumb is Sunday nights. If Sunday night I wake up and I'm just like, oh shoot, I have to go to work tomorrow. Oh my God, I hate it. Oh my goodness. It's almost time to find a new position. Like this is not the way to live, right? Um, so that's actually the way that I gauge if I love my job or not. Um, Sunday night, if Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday morning, I'm dreading the next day, then it's not. If over the weekend, I'm excited, I'm turning on my computer and I'm like, oh my God, let's figure this out. Let's do it means it's the right job. That's what I'm doing now. I'm just like, oh my God, let's go figure this out. Like, I love my job. There's so many twists and turns, so many learning angles that I'm always curious, but I'm always learning. So I know it's the right place for me. Um, from a career perspective, um, I'm really big on, so it, it's a delicate dance. Do you build your strengths or do you look at your weaknesses and build those up? I haven't done that. My approach has always been, these are my strengths. The areas that I don't have strengths in, do I hire it out or do I build a team around it? And um, the areas where I have deep weakness, is it even worth me playing with, right? Um, I'm not a financial person. I'm, 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 I'm grateful for the amazing financial people we have on my team and they help me crunch numbers. I can ask all the, I, I love asking questions. I can ask a million questions. I can look at the data, analyze it, but I don't have to go build the model. And I'm okay with that. And it's not a strength for me. I don't, I, I don't wanna do it. Um, so I don't, um, but I say all that to say, um, I think it's, it's, I think what's made me successful is knowing what my strengths are and based on my strengths, building those up and focusing on those areas and figuring out how I can master those areas. Um, areas where I'm just not good at, I don't try to do. And then as a professional, um, I'm also really big at home. Um, where do I get the most value from my time? Do I get the most value from my time um, working and, and figuring out the future? Or do I get the most value from my time um, cleaning the bathroom on the weekends? And I don't. So I hired out. 
um, because I know I'm just not going to get the most value of my time. And by the time there was one weekend, my mom was just like, oh, you should just clean the house. Oh, you don't need to hire someone. Yada, yada, yada. She made me feel so bad about myself. Right. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. It took me the whole weekend to clean the house. I literally started on Friday. And by the time I finished, it was Sunday and I lost the whole weekend and I'm tired and I was pissed because I was just like, oh my God, I just took my whole weekend to clean the house. Like, yeah, the house is clean and it's spotless and I love it, but I could use my time doing something else. So I say all that to say when my cleaning lady shows up and I give her a hundred bucks and she's happy and she gets a hundred dollars and I have a clean house and it smells the way that I want it to smell and everything looks great. That gets me happy. So I've learned that that's just not my, um, my strength. Um, and I'm okay with hiring that out. I hope that answered your question. And if not send me a LinkedIn message, happy to continue the dialogue. (laughs) No, that was great. I have also experienced the Sunday scaries and other roles before. And that's what we've called them before is the Sunday scaries around my friend circle. Um, and also I just love that you look at as you were talking about adding value in marketing, like finding the value to that customer, you're also finding the value for yourself. And what what do you value? What can you, you know, uh, hire out for? What can you, you know, get off your plate that doesn't make sense for you? Um, we've got one more question, if that's okay. So as a uh, Jennifer says, Zolna as a fellow FAMU grad, all right and current GBS evening student, your journey is so inspiring. Many people use the MBA to pivot to a different industry or company. You chose to stay with Microsoft. Do you feel you have promoted just as quickly within the organization? And if so, how did you accomplish for yourself to accomplish this? How did you uh, get around to that with that MBA? Yeah, and you know, I always view, Great question and great to meet a fellow Rattler, um, Jennifer. Um, Great question. I kind of view this. Um, I think everyone's decision to stay, pivot organizations, um, it's all personal, right? So what are you, like, what are you chasing? Um, And at the end of the day, like, if I view my career, um, let's say I work until I'm 50 or let's say I work until I'm 60. What do I want to be known for? And what is the life that I want in retirement, right? And that's kind of what drives me. Um, so that's kind of my question to you, like, what do you want to be known for? What, do you, what are you striving for? And based on what you're striving for, um, are you interested? Are you curious about the current organization or the current industry? And if no, that's fine. Let's go chase it. Um, based on what you want in another organization or another industry. Um, But once you arrive at that other industry, um, at the end of the day, like once it's all said and done, what what does success look like for you? Is success title? Is success money? Is success all of the above? Um, Like what does success mean um, to you? Um, I say all that to say, you know, I've been at Microsoft for a really long time um, and I've had a great time. Most people innovate and um, switch companies. I've had the opportunity of doing it within Microsoft. Um, If you look at my resume, um, I've changed divisions nine times. So even though I've um, stayed at the same company, I've worked across so many different business units where I've gotten a broad perspective of insights perspective, um, as well as just business understanding. It didn't really dawn on me until I'd met with a, a, a friend um, and he he jumps company to company to learn new business skills. And he was like, oh man, you just stay at Microsoft and go do it at another business unit. And I said, pretty much. Um, so I say all that to say, um, you know, I, I know I have at least another 10 years in me or 15 years, right? And I'm constantly asking myself at the end of that 15 year journey, what does success look like to me? And that's what drives me. Um, so if it's financial, then I push hard on the money. And if it's not financial, if I'm looking for title or I'm looking for um, a certain level of prestige, then that's what I chase. Um, But I say all that to say it's important 
um, as students, but also as we architect our futures and architect our lives, that you just kind of know at the end of the day, what does satisfaction look like to you? And that's how you drive for self. I hope that answered the question. That's fantastic. And also, as you've mentioned so many times throughout the conversation, really driving towards that curiosity. Um, you really indicated that that's a thing for you. And I love that. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Zolna. Thank you. I really enjoyed the um, intimate crowd and really enjoyed the discussion. And Kate, I'm always a resource. So I hope we can do this again soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emory Innovators. To hear additional episodes, search Emory Innovators on Spotify to find or subscribe to this podcast. For more information about the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation, visit hatchery.emory.edu.